The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. All year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Rose Bowl Monday. Chuck Oliver Show. Nine states, 60 sticks. Wow, what a blessing. College football year round. Nebraska won to can Scott Frost, an alum of Varsity Letterman, starting quarterback, who was then the head coach. Could have waited literally a week and a half and saved, like, I don't know, $4 million. They're like, no, we're going to fire him right here, right now. Why? Well, we got Big Ten money. Um, well, everybody in the SEC, you know what they have? They all have SEC money. Then there's LSU money, Bama money, A&M money. There's a different level of it. Well, LSU money is different than Missouri money. Um, and now they got a $2.5 million a year defensive coordinator. Among other things, we will discuss is the contract for the new D.C. and the staff he'll assemble. Want to welcome on from 247, Sonny Ship. Sonny, welcome back, friend. How are you today? Good, brother. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm not three years, seven and a half million dollars good, but I also don't have a clipboard and a whistle like Blake Baker. Talk about the hire and what LSU uh, expects, and I assume immediately. Well, Chuck, you make NFL assistant money, so we all know that. But, you know, when you talk, <laughs> when you look at it, LSU, you know, one thing we've seen with Scott Woodward is that uh, you go back to Fisher at A&M, Kelly, Kim Mulkey, uh, Jay Johnson, you know, after he won the championship, is that when Scott Woodward feels they're worth it, he'll go out and he'll spend money. And uh, that's certainly what he did on Blake Baker. Eliminated any doubt on whether or not he was going to stay at uh, Missouri. I think when you come with that big, uh, you know, when you come with that big check right there, and then you toss in the, you know, the family ties to the area. His uh, his wife grew up in Mandeville, not far from Baton Rouge. Coaching in Baton Rouge and then coaching at Louisiana Tech and stuff. I just think it was. I mean, it's it, it was as good of a fit that LSU needed. Maybe as much as when LSU needed, uh, when LSU had Aaron Orgeron and you had that local fit that was just so well at the time, I think that's what you get with Blake Baker. It's just going to be such a good fit down here for him. Now, let me talk about the staff a little bit because whenever it comes to recruiting, and I may have said this in your presence, but uh, it's just whatever we talk about a commitment or a transfer even, I'm like, until we hear it from the kid of the school, it's just reported. Um, I heard about a week ago, oh, yeah, Bo Davis. He's going to LSU. Is Bo Davis going to LSU? You know, I, uh, I, I, think, I think that there were some serious discussions going on, but I think it just got to the – I just – you know, and, and this is not anything that I've confirmed, but this sure, is just sure. something that I think right now, is that it got to the point to where after you did what you had to do with Blake Baker – that Bo Davis and the money that that was going to cost on top of buyouts, on top of salary, because I think he was already making 1.2 at Texas or right around that, and then Texas is going to give him a raise. You'd put all of that on top of that, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of money now. And now you start really talking about a lot of – and then you also have to wait. You know, you're still waiting on some of those buyouts 
from uh, Matt House and Kerry Cooks, Robert yeah. Steeples, Jimmy Lindsay and company to kind of offset one another to where you really get a better feel for, okay, you know, how much those buyouts are going to cost you. So I think at the end of the day, you know, it just that, that ironically it did come down to a, a, a big part of it was a money thing with Bo Davis. Okay. Could I ask you, and I apologize that this is, is Corey Raymond still unemployed? He is. He is. And he is. No buy uh, out there. Still, yeah, no. no buy out there in Baton Rouge. And I can tell you, there's some there's some administrators at LSU who are uh, who are pushing for him to come back. And I know some on staff are as well, you know, would like to see him come back. You know, I, I guess the interesting thing when it comes to that is Brian Kelly had a chance to keep Corey Raymond when he first got he to Baton Rouge and chose not to. You know, and, and 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 how crazy is it too to think that you had a chance? You know, you could have kept Blake Baker as your as your linebackers coach, but then you still had Matt House coming in. That's the position he coached and everything. So you didn't really have a spot for Blake Baker at the time. And two years later, here's a lot of money, buddy. Please come yeah. back. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the other side of the ball. Is there an OC uh, in the fold ready? Almost. You know, I think your OC. I, I, I think your OC, uh, and well, I probably going to go the co-OC route. I would not be surprised if Brian Kelly went with uh, Joe Sloan and Cortez Hankton, and okay. some sort of uh, you know some sort of arrangement where they both wore that hat. Obviously, had uh, you know distinguished duties and and everything involved. But you know, I have a feeling that that's the route that he's going to end up going. Um, Cortez Hankton, you know, he's a guy who really wants to be an OC. I know there was some flirtations with Alabama that, you know, was thinking maybe, you know, they may have something for him over there, giving him a rate, you know, giving him a promotion and things like that. But, you know, at this point, you know, I think it's more likely than not that Sloan and Hankton end up being your co-OCs. All right. So three, uh, three-year guy, like even in the portal, you see freshman, you're like, he's a three-year guy. Um, and wide receivers in Baton Rouge. I think I saw maybe it was Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe against West Virginia one night. And I was like, he's a three-year guy. Like maybe he was a freshman. I was like, you could just see it sometimes. So they've had, um, more receivers leave after this year, uh, in the NFL. Uh, could I ask you just about that one position on the depth chart going forward? Because, I, I so quickly move past a name like Butte because I look and see Malik Neighbors is on the uh, roster. All right, after Malik Neighbors, who can be the next guy? After Malik Neighbors, well, yeah. it would have been nice if Brian Thomas would have hung around, yeah. but uh, you know he's a guy who's going to he's going to go and he's going to absolutely blow up the combine, and I think you're going to see him just shoot up draft boards over that process. But your next guy is a question mark, and it has been a while since uh, since that has come up. You know, Tyron Lacey coming back. You know, is he going to be wide receiver one? Xavion um, uh, Thomas coming from Mississippi State. You know, he caught 44 balls last year. Is he the guy? Um, and then when you go back to those three-year players, I think when you look at this freshman group that just redshirted this year, Jalen Brown already uh, hit the portal, going to Florida State. Yeah. You got Shelton Sampson. You got Kyle Parker, and then you got Kai Preen. None of those guys played. None of those guys officially played because they all redshirted. You know, they played some mop-up duty and things like that. But there's not a three-year player on the roster from that class right there. So then you look at this class right here that had Jelani Watkins, Colin Billio. You got some guys I think who may, you know, you could potentially say maybe, but I think we could have probably said the same thing about Shelton Sampson Jr. around this time last year. So I, I think that's an area that, 
they would like that if there's a chance that they could go out and they could get a guy who is a you know you come in you know you you just say okay this guy's going to get one of your starting spots right here if there's a guy out there by the time the second portal closes and there's still some chances that they could hit somebody big in this first window but I I, I think that that's going to still be a priority is them looking to add another playmaker at that spot a big yeah, time just, playmaker at that spot it's just a normal one of the position groups in the sec you look at it's just a normal thing for them to be three-year guys um all right uh, i want to ask you just one quick thing do i understand this correctly in state this year um and i think all but maybe one of them assigned if we look in louisiana which is a really good state for in-state uh high school football recruiting 10 of the top 11 are lsu kids yeah, yeah, and then Wardell Mack, uh, Wardell Mack, you know, he flipped from Florida, signed with Texas. He was a guy that, you know, down the stretch, uh, you know, there there was he he was wanting to flirt with LSU a little more than LSU was at the time, just due to how you know that recruitment shook out and everything. But when you go back and you look at that, you only lost one right there, and then that was some circ- circumstances where he circled back around. So man, you just got to look at Brian Kelly and say, hey, you you were talking about putting a fence up, you did it on this one right here because the previous class, you know, Tackett Curtis, USC, Arch Manning, Texas, Derek yeah. Williams, Texas, you go down the list, you know, so uh, so so this was a, uh, they did a 180, they did a 180, and I think a lot of credit has to go to Frank Wilson, taking over for Brian Poling as your recruiting coordinator, Sherman Wilson, one of their recruiting specialists, who just does a fabulous job out up there, and, um, you know, they really, they really did their number in Louisiana in this cycle. You know, I think you mentioned everybody except, like, Brad Davis is still there as the O-line coach, right? Brad Davis is still there as the O-line okay. coach. Uh, and what a haul that guy had, huh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right, so I think now, because you mentioned Cortez Hankton and you mentioned uh, uh, Joe Sloan earlier, so I think we've gone over everybody remaining on the offensive staff. That means Kelly's got to like the chemistry there. If he, he, if he has the opening and he's going to, quote, just go down the hall and kind of co-promote two guys – Chemistry's got to be a huge deal there. I think so, but also when Brian Kelly first got to Baton Rouge, you know, and they were talking about, you know, what kind of offense, you know, the offensive coordinator and things like that. One of the things Kelly said is that, look, you know, I have an offense. I have a system because that way if the offensive coordinator goes and leaves, I don't have to go and find a new one. And, you know, when you go back and when you think about it, as long as him and Mike Denbrock have been together, you know, you know they both toss things around and stuff like that. But I think that when you have that, that that allows you to be more comfortable in going in-house because we've seen Brian Kelly has no problem taking over calling plays. You know, we've seen, we've seen him do it at Notre Dame. And no, so yeah, I think yeah. that, you know, just that demeanor and being that person that he is, it's like, hey, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can just always take over myself. But, you know, I, I think Joe Sloan and Cortez Sainton, when you look at the young coaches in the SEC, those are two guys who have offense coordinator written all over them. You know, Sloan's been one. Hankton interviewed with the Rams last offseason. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, there, there's obviously a lot of, you know, a lot of interest in them. Yeah, thought is maybe just hires a tight end coach and off they go. Sonny, I appreciate your time, friend. Hey, there's a, uh, Tim Brewster's available. <laughs> Absolutely, he is. Sonny, names out there. <laughs> there are names we all know for various reasons. Sonny Ship, go two four seven. Thank you, buddy. All right, brother. Have a good one, Chuck. All right, yeah, a lot of guys that you'll know. And by the way, um, there are about to be some. Mm, I don't, I'm bring hey. Um, I think that there are about to be some very high-profile jobs in college football open. There's another hiring round coming up because the NFL, like, it's folks getting whacked left and right today. It's already started in Washington, D.C., and Atlanta. 
Um, San Diego, San Diego, LA needs a coach. One of them. Um, there are going to be some high profile college coaches. I think that's the direction some of these teams go Do you. Uh, I, I think certainly the Harbaugh one, you wonder if it triggers any kind of domino effect because I think a lot of people believe right now they might just promote Sharon Moore from within with the job that he did rather than go outside and look for somebody. So that would be a limited effect if they grab Harbaugh. I don't know, though, Chuck, if there's that many other coaches that people are excited about. Ryan Day doesn't seem like a guy who's quite as hot as he once was. Or is was Kirby a curveball that you think he has any possibility? He looks around and name image likeness and recruiting and the roster whack-a-mole and says, screw this, I'm out. I'd be surprised, and I'd be surprised if an NFL team views the way that Kirby Smart has won as being something that necessarily applies directly to them. Now, Dropping F-bombs at halftime to fire kids up? I, I will tell you that Todd Munkin's name has come up as somebody who might has. get a head coaching job who was very recently in Athens, but I don't think Kirby's name is going to come up as much. Uh, but you know, the one, the one I do wonder about a little bit is Lincoln Riley, just because if you're Lincoln Riley and there's any way you could get a package deal with Caleb Williams to go somewhere, is that something that would interest you because things don't seem to be working out as well as you'd like there in L.A.? I don't think anybody's looking to hire him unless they're trying to pair him with Caleb Williams. But he's the only one right now, Chuck, that I could kind of see a path because I don't think there's a lot of talk about Ryan Day and Justin Fields and the Bears, but I don't I don't think that's happening. So I'm not sure this is a hot year for too many guys. But obviously, if if just Michigan and USC opened up at this point, that would still be plenty to keep us busy. Hmm. I would be showing somebody neighborhoods in Evanston. I, I mean, I'm telling you because the combination of who we have. And the potential for the draft picks, if you get them right, or what you turn them into because you don't stay at number one. Justin Fields, I don't know. Commit and let's find something out. Because the second contract with him, this is not an NFL show, but I don't know. Somehow, Daniel Jones, he he, he basically he completed some passes. That playoff thing they did last year before the Giants broke him off for $40 million a year, they didn't ask him to do a whole, whole lot last season. They really didn't. But then he was the starting quarterback who ended the first contract, and we went on the road and won a playoff game, and then they got whacked by a good team at home. Um, and they were winning all their games, like, plus turnovers and by three, and I was like, that's not real. That's not – no, it's real when you do it. It's not something you can replicate. Next year we'll be plus 11 in turnovers again. Oh, okay, well, it works for me. And then you give him $40 million. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. No, it's going to be fascinating to see whether or not the Bears do decide to keep Fields. Because, again, the normal thing would be you'd be holding on to him. Of course you'd be holding on to him. He's going into his fourth year of his contract. It is so weird that they've shown a lot of growth this year. He's shown growth, but you also have that number one pick. Really, Chuck, the only time you can think about it that's even kind of similar is back when Jimmy Johnson and the Cowboys had the option with the supplemental draft to add Steve Walsh on top of Troy Aikman. Normally, you just don't see a scenario like this where you've got a guy who's this talented and this young in his development and then also number one pick without being a disaster yourself. Yeah, I think, again, what you could turn the first overall pick into uh, and then kind of roll with fields. But that is a pro thing, and it may be with somebody like Lincoln Riley in tow. Um, Fun place to live out in the burbs around Chicago. But uh, certainly appreciate uh, Sonny making time coming on. Uh, Jaden Daniels will be one of those picks as well. All right, uh, we will break. Come back, continue on this Monday next.
more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. National Championship Monday on Chuck Oliver Show. We're talking college football. Yeah, yes. There's a scenario no one around college football is planning for. And I've got a fix to make now in advance. Scenario is if there is what by point spreads is an upset in a conference championship game and a a four-loss champion emerges from a conference that gets a automatic bid to the playoffs. The scenario is what if that four-loss 10, 11, or 12 seed wins the national title? And you say, well, Chuck, well, that, well, that, well, would that ever happen, Chuck? Uh, would that ever happen? I don't know. Clemson. You know what Clemson can be with just a little bit of tweaking? They can be elite again. They're not right now. They're a really good program with all the trappings and every all the built-in infrastructure and piles of money and tons of interest, and they have elite players that dot the roster. They could be elite again. Do you know what else Clemson is? They're a team that plays South Carolina every single year. You know what else Clemson does? They play Georgia like, I don't know, a lot. And ever so often, there will be another game on there that doesn't really ding them in the standings, like Notre Dame, for instance. Do you know what Clemson could do? Clemson could drop Georgia in the opener, South Carolina in the closer, Notre Dame somewhere else along the lines and stroll into a conference championship game with a one-loss conference record, avenge the loss, win the conference championship, and suddenly look around and go, wait a minute, maybe we're Clemson again, and hell, maybe they are. And a four-loss champion who never should have been in the playoffs to begin with. I'm speaking for everyone at that time, which that time could be 11 months from right now. A four-loss, 10-11-12 seed wins national championship. Folks, college football will be where Major League Baseball found themselves realizing three months ago, oh, it's not guaranteed to be just the pile of money when we expand the playoffs to a ridiculous level. If you open a tournament, ever so often you get a Rangers-Diamondbacks World Series. Or a nine-win wildcard team with a kind of average quarterback winning the Super Bowl. Or the L.A. Kings, who won 40 out of 82 regular season games, fired the coach midseason, got into the Stanley Cup playoffs as an eight seed, walk home with a big trophy. Ten cup. At some point, literally, folks, in every sport, it happens. It does happen. So the it's just when it happens. And then we say, now we've expanded that. This was too. We got to make an adjustment. Here's your adjustment. No off week for the first round of games. It's ridiculous that the championship game would go to January 20th anyway. If you happen to play on championship Saturday, you got a playoff game a week later. NFL does it, and that's what you are anyway. So that is how you, quote, give the top four seeds a little bit more of an advantage to make this even less likely because that's what you want. You want it to be as less likely as possible. Uh, and you make five through 12 really good teams at five, six, seven, et cetera, included 
5 through 12, you make it even more unlikely that they are able to get on a run. If you Some teams in 5 through 12 will have that Saturday off, like December 2nd or 3rd. But if you do play, well, tough. You got to play a week later because we have to have more separation built in so that we don't have the New York Giants and Eli Manning catching a football on side of the helmet and winning a Super Bowl. It was silly. Hey, how's it Monday? Yo, it's doing all right, Chuck. I will just say this. Uh, tonight, start your conspiracy theory plots. How are these officials tonight trying to hurt FSU? The reason I ask that, you might think that's odd because it's a Michigan-Washington game, but it's ACC officials, so clearly it's a plot of some kind to hurt FSU. It's just a question of how. Um, all kidding aside, how stupid is this, Chuck, that we are still at a point in this sport in 2024 where tonight we have quote-unquote ACC officials working the championship game as opposed to officials working the championship game? Yeah, you would think. I mean, it, this, this has never made any sense, and I get it. The idea is that well, there, there's going to not be anybody who's got a prior relationship with these teams. There can't be an accusation of favoritism or bias because so they don't see them. The problem is, though, Chuck, you know as well as I do, we also see certain conferences that call things differently. So you play your whole season. It's kind of like in baseball, the ridiculousness of the idea that you play your whole season with the DH and then suddenly, oh, wait, for four games in the middle of the World Series, you don't have that because a different part of our sport has different rules. You have some sports are some conferences where pass interference is called really aggressively. Other places a lot is let go or holding is called really aggressively versus, hey, it's it's all holds barred wrestling out there, no holds barred wrestling out there. It is incredibly stupid that we have a sport that while the regionalism is a positive, regionalism in officiating is not a positive. And we know for a fact Pac-12 officials have shown they're incompetent for decades now, uh, yet Frequently, because Pac-12 hasn't been that good, they've gotten key assignments because, well, they don't have an affiliation with these other two conferences. Sooner or later, whether it's the CFP doing it, NCAA doing it, sooner or later the sport needs to get its act together and standardize officiating across all conferences. That doesn't mean you have to send guys from California to Alabama every week. I understand wanting to save money, but this affiliation business is dumb. Yeah, no need for an American League strike zone and a National League strike zone. Though I did love those sweet red sport coats that the American League umpires used to wear. Those were nice. Blue in the National League, I believe. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest 
largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. It is true. It is Chuck Oliver Show. We talk college football two hours a day. Been doing it since the beginning of the 14 season. Nine states and 66. Thank you for the blessing. In football, uh, I've told you, I can even coach around limitations at quarterback. Like, maybe an outright deficiency, but you get kind of found out. But I can do that. I can coach around it. Offensive line, if we aren't blocking the opponent for whatever reason, I got nothing for you. Like, there's no play for that. Uh, And in the first half especially, and on the last snap of the game, Michigan made – that ball game's going to be about your offensive line. I think there'll be an element of that tonight. I think Michigan is your national champions. Um, they're just big and burly, and it's 35 years ago, and we're in the Rose Bowl in the late 80s. And I, like they, they can play that game on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and they can track team you down the sideline. So it's as complete as they look. Want to bring on right now, I'm on three sports, it's Andy Staples. Andy, how's Houston? It's good. A little rainy right now, but uh, fortunately the game is indoors, so – don't have to worry about that. And uh, very excited, though, because it's, it's – I don't know what's going to happen. I, this, is, this one is really tough to predict. Yeah, fancy crib with a roof that can go on or off, I believe, so they'll have it <laughs> yeah. covered. Um, let's talk about the anything can happen angle. I opened the show today. I was like, the number's five, and Heath Klein, our producer, said four and a half. I was like, all right, four and a half. <laughs> um, of course Washington can win. This has a – I'm going to go way back here if I have permission. This has like a Michael Vick, Florida State sort of thing down in the Superdome. No, like a one-man no, gang sort of with not, my, okay, not all right. Have you, have you watched Washington? Absolutely, but they got a beat-up running no. back, and I, I, you've got to be able to protect the quarterback long enough for the deep routes to uh, to get open. So I look at this as Michael Penix a whole lot Your more than the Washington. Line on the Joe Morrow. I understand that. <laughs> They're considered the best in the country. Now, I don't know if they are the best in the country. Michigan might be the best in the country. But, no, I mean, like, that's not what I'm worried about with Washington. What, what I'm worried about with Washington is – if Michigan can just grind out yards on the ground and very consistently run the ball, put up some, some long drives that when Washington's offense gets on the field, they're out of sync, that, that, would, that would really mess them up. But I think Michigan is going to have a little bit of a hard time covering these guys because everybody's had a hard time covering these guys. Could I ask you, what is your uh, Dylan Johnson? He's not going to miss the game. I think you'd have to put him on a gurney. He'd get out there somehow. Yeah. But um, it's a it's it's a serious injury. Uh, what do you think oh, they yeah. can get from him tonight? I don't. When a dude tells you he's not going to be one hundred percent before yeah. the game, he's in he's in bad shape. So yeah. I don't I don't know what they're going to be able to get. And this is it's 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 interesting because remember Dylan Johnson when he transferred there was supposed to be the number two back. Cam Jones was the the guy who was number one back, and he got hurt in preseason practice. So. They're pretty thin there. That's that is a big concern. Like, and, and I would be concerned about that in protection too for for Michael Penix. You know, 
when you're when you're playing backs who have not played that much you know i've talked about that concept we all know this because it's you know it's easy to pick up if when we don't coach or play is we see a backup corner go on the field we're like oh that's an opportunity go at him i've always looked at a backup running back like a guy who really Mm -hmm. doesn't play i'm about to get a little exotic i'm gonna heat up the quarterback and see how that guy's pass protection is i agree with you on that Absolutely, because that running back might, you know, you don't know if he's going to be looking the right direction on a play. Like, it's, it can get ugly. All right, and then what happens after the game? Good, bad, dead, or buried? What happens with Jim Harbaugh? I think he goes to the NFL if he can. I, it's, a, it's a question of, you know, does is somebody going to hire him in the NFL, which I, I you know, with the, with the Vikings, with the Broncos, I understood, like, the Broncos, you're hiring Sean Payton. The, the Vikings, they like Kevin O'Connell better. But there's there's several jobs here that I think Jim Harbaugh could be a candidate for, and the man went to three NFC title games in four years, and went to a Super Bowl. So I do think there's going to be a market for him in the NFL, and you've got this NCAA stuff coming. I, they're going to hit him with more stuff. I don't know how much it is. I do think Michigan would ride it out with him though. If if he doesn't get an NFL job and wants to be back, I think Michigan will ride that stuff out. Andy Staples on three sports and just is there a bigger picture here because there's already a few I think there's about to be a lot of open jobs in the NFL um where are we on the pendulum from hiring a lot of college guys to now we're going to hire guys with NFL experience like I've mentioned Kirby Smart I don't know Mm -hmm. more about his frustration I've looked at Lincoln Riley and thought no I think the NFL will like him um tell me where you think Ryan Day falls where are some of these guys I, I don't think Ryan Day would be a very attractive candidate right now. I mean, you're looking at a guy who, you know, in the NFL, you don't have more talent. Even even if you have them, like, let's say you're the 49ers, who probably have the most kind of raw talent across the roster of any NFL team, you still can get beat if you don't adjust, if you don't game plan individually for each situation. And at Ohio State, they just sort of rolled with more talent. And you've seen it bite them in the butt when they play teams of equal talent. So I don't, I don't know that Ryan Day is – and I think Lincoln Riley has gone from being very attractive in the NFL to not very attractive at all because he can't seem to field a team that, that has an effective defense. Like, if, if you don't care enough about that side of the ball to, to actually play it well at all, ever, I just don't know if an NFL team is going to be interested in you. So that's why Harbaugh, you know, his teams are complete. They – they game plan for the specific opponent. They attack the opponent's weakness. That's what you have to do in the NFL. So, you know, Kirby would do that really well, but I, I don't get the sense that he's, he's wanting to leave. Um, the, one, the one in this the, the, tonight I think would be interesting is Kalen DeBoer. I think Kalen DeBoer would make a fabulous NFL head coach. And, yeah, he, well, I think Kalen DeBoer would make a fabulous coach at any level of football. He's just he's that mm-hmm. kind of guy. Um, so, like, if the Chargers were to come and say, hey, you want to work with Justin Herbert, he'd have to listen to that. So, I feel bad. Like, the Washington people were, were – they're all worried that, you know, if Harbaugh leaves, would, would Michigan call the board? I think Michigan will elevate Sharon more if Harbaugh leaves. But I do think if you're, if you're Kalen DeBoer, you may get some NFL interest after this. Could, if you're Michigan, can you not elevate – more after the three games i mean you there's there's nothing there's no other scenario or you would just splinter the whole offensive staff the offensive staff i know 
I, I think if you keep so much together, you, I, Ben Herbert, the strength coach, I think would say, and now I don't know if you keep the defensive staff because Harbaugh might take Jesse Menner to run the defense in, in the NFL. But the thing is, like, especially if you keep the, the if, if you elevate Sharon, you probably keep the Harbaugh brother. Baltimore Ravens defensive internship program open where they send you the hottest, sure. you know, the hottest young guy on their staff to run your defense and it all works out really well. So I just, I think that's the, the smartest move. And look, I mean, Moore handled that situation so well in the four games where he was the acting coach. And I, I think about his play calling in the Ohio state game. And, and we've talked, I'm sure you've talked on your show a bunch of times about, you know, the difficulty of, calling plays and being the head coach at the same time. And he was awesome in that Ohio State game. Like, it didn't feel like he he made a wrong call once. So I, I don't think there's any other choice. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've said, folks, I, and I do this. I sit on my couch in Sandy Springs, Georgia, and I never lose track of 25 seconds. I was right. like, when you're standing on the sideline, I was like, yeah. it's juggling chainsaws. I was like, and it flies by. And you look up and you're like, how are there 12 seconds left? Um all right, I mentioned Kirby, the roster whack-a-mole, all of that. Um, mm-hmm. He is an outlier because, I don't know, I see him on a Ford commercial. He's got the whatever other endorsement. He makes probably like $14 million a year total take. Um, right. And he can have a support staff of like 70 or more. What So can he delegate his way to it being tolerable? Because I remember it was like a year and a half ago, the D.C. at Missouri said, screw this, I'll go coach corners in the NFL rather than mm-hmm. be a coordinator in the NFL. Can the head coach insulate himself from some of this i mean yeah it, they can if, if they trust enough people and they, they have enough people around them they still can can do the job and look somebody's going to do these jobs so i whether they like it or not i like he he may not be able to go to the nfl and make the kind of money he makes now i don't i don't even know like a lot of nfl teams aren't going to pay that so I think Kirby would be just fine where he is. A lot of these coaches, yeah, you're complaining because your job used to be a lot easier and you used to make about the same amount of money. Yep. Well, your job's harder now and you make the same amount of money. I don't think that's going to be forever, though. I think we're in sort of a, a period of change where they've got they've to figure out what they're going to do. There will be a system that is more regulated. My guess is the players are, are some kind of you know employees of the conference and there's a CBA and so all of this stuff will be more under control, which will make the coaches' jobs easier. But it's not happening today, and it's not happening next year. So you just got to be able to ride it out till that happens. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and ask you then, post, I don't know, 2031, because that's kind of the early sort of get out. Maybe if you negotiate a little, if you're Florida State and are ugly enough, loud enough, maybe 2031. Uh, do we turn into like a AFC, NFC sort of thing, like big giant half of the conference or country is the SEC and the big other half is the Big Ten? That's That's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is the big brands, leave their conferences and coalesce into their own thing. And you have, you know, maybe the top 40 all be one league. That's, that's the other way to do it. Cause it's, it won't be a case where the big 10 just kicks out Indiana or the sec just kicks out Vanderbilt. It, the, the way you would do a super league is Ohio state and Michigan would call Alabama and LSU and be like, Hey, you, you want to do your own thing? You want to do our own thing? Let's go do that. 
I've always talked about how there are certain players. The the only you know sadness is there's no other league to graduate up into. Like we could create yeah. one of these between the SEC and the NFL. Now there's another league. Uh, Andy, right. I appreciate the input as always, man. Thank you so much, brother. Thanks, Chuck. On three sports, it's Andy Staples. That's interesting. That the halves, and then you do have to populate the roster with someone to beat. Um, it's not just going to be a collection of barnstorming teams that all wear, you know, the same uniforms, but, but, you know, we represent just us six. No, you have to play each other. And so you have to have someone that you can beat on a lot of Saturdays. And so kicking out Vanderbilt, Missouri, no, y'all, y'all are welcome to stay. We are leaving. Now, I will say the SEC... This was the ultimate, and it's kind of crude, but it's kind of the ultimate, you know, pants grab. Until I think it was two years ago, the SEC didn't have an exit fee. Then there was a legality that came up, and for some reason now, I'm sure it's also cover themselves because you never know, like what we're talking about openly on the radio. Um, But I think it was two years ago, and Greg Sankey, he was very much chest out. Like, he had the mic uh, drop moment. Are you going to add five more teams and be a super conference? He said, we are a super conference. Oh, mic drop, play wrestling music. He runs off with a bow around his neck. Um, So he's had those before. He's had those moments before. Um, But when you're talking about now dividing up all your members based on some may want to leave the ultimate moment was the ultimate hey we're better than everybody is we don't have an exit fee you want to leave leave i think they added one two years back because of there was some sort of related headline and the sec now has an exit. i don't know what it is and here's the funny thing how many of us know in general I mean, the ACC's exit fee history for like the past 15 years. We know what happened with Maryland. We know the postscript. We know the agreement in 15. We know where Florida State is now. We know that adding Notre Dame basically kept Swafford in his job, and then he got on a little bit of a roll. So when you know a conference's exit fee, it's kind of like when you know the official's names it's probably not good i've never heard a word about the big tens exit fee i've heard that the pac-12 knew all about theirs and it was wasn't the pac-12 that if you left before june 30th you could get out with no exit fee or two and a half million or something and so that's why colorado always a leader in pac-12 athletic history Colorado said, we're leaving. And they got to about the V in Arizona and Arizona State. Said, us too. Washington and Oregon are looking around going, hmm, we're the prettiest girls left by far. So, like, they were 930 hot, still at the bar at 1145. So, it was, it happened that quite, that quickly. And it was done. And the Pac-12, as a relevant conference as it is right now, I think I know what's going to happen. They'll come back as a conference not of any sort of relevance to what it to what it was. And I'm talking about the, like the membership that's there.
Um, but snapped your fingers and it was done. All right, we're going to break, come back, and we will wrap up on this Monday next. the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show some of our opponents and uh, what we've done against them gives us a lot of confidence on both sides of the ball um that we we play physical football you know we've We've felt uh, many different times that, uh, you know, maybe that respect wasn't there, that we, could, we were that type of team and had this type of, of, of physicality about us. But um, we've proved it, I think, multiple times. That beat Washington Huskies head coach, Kalen DeBoer. And they've absolutely proved their medal. A win at Arizona at the end of September. We didn't know what Arizona had maybe kind of turned into, not yet. Um, and that was sort of a duke it out, slug it out sort of game. Eh, it was Arizona. It was on the road in the car. Eh, it was Arizona. They need more credit for that. The Oregon game, we gave them all the credit in the world. And then we were like, okay, we can ignore them for a few weeks until they play Southern Cal. Um, turns out the Southern Cal thing, that – that was just going to be a shootout all along. And Washington had the way better defense and the way better offensive line and the way better running game and the way better everything except maybe the quarterback. Oh, no, they got the better quarterback too. So they breezed through that. Um, this is a team that I thought would lose to Texas last week. So he's right about that. Tonight they have a big challenge, and it's sort of a sort of a chain thing in football. Uh, I've said there is no, like the secondary is connected to the punter somehow. Uh, Dylan Johnson's stud. Boy, did he, I mean, you talk about checking the right box when you had a chance to improve your situation. And so he goes from a guy that had like four carries a game to 1,200 yard rusher for a potential national champion. It's not right. And with at the second leading rusher on the team, 194 yards on the season. So, and I think the high game was against Tulsa, maybe, like back in week one or two, or week two. If if you're limited in the ground game, well, they got those big, tall receivers, and it's more than just Rome on the outside. It's Jalen as well. They got those big, giant receivers, that, yeah, who like to go downfield, and those routes take longer. And so, without maybe as much of a running threat, I think that maybe the down and distances get a little more predictive. And then Michigan's able to fly around, be killers in secondary, especially on longer, deeper room. It takes a while to develop sort of route. So, Heath, how's the Monday, man? A couple of things here, Chuck. Uh, one, we've mentioned this before. Uh, Bill Rajewski at collegefootballdata.com puts together an index that he calls the luckiest teams, and it's based on post-game win expectations. You know, we've seen that stupid win percentage stat that ESPN likes to do during the game, and it doesn't tell you a whole lot, frankly. But uh, using something along those lines, just running the numbers and saying, statistically, should this team have won? What percentage of the time should this combination of stats have won the game? Uh, that's how he gets to his luckiest teams. And the luckiest team this year was Oklahoma State. But now, after the uh, college football playoff semis at this point, 
Washington is now the second luckiest team based on postgame win expectations. Says that Washington will be expected to have three to four losses based on how they've played in each individual game this year, even though obviously they keep winning them. For what it's worth, Michigan is at number 33. So make of that what you will, that Washington has seemingly found a way to win a lot of games that at least on paper maybe shouldn't have been wins, whereas Michigan, when they win it, it's normally just a win that's supposed to look like a win. Maybe that means something tonight. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah, the uh, the first game against Oregon, that was, I mean, how did they win? Well, Oregon lost because they went for it on fourth down a bunch. Um, that was the big story. And so that, I guess, at least the narrative goes along with that conclusion. Then also, I just want to touch on one thing quickly, Chuck. Uh, on Friday, uh, Auburn officially fired Philip Montgomery as their offensive coordinator. People love hiring names. Fans love that. Oh, I know that guy. That's a name. I like that guy. And I get those same kind of vibes off a story I saw about Nebraska. Uh, Matt Zenitz of 24-7 Sports reporting that the former Houston headman Dana Holgerson in talks with Nebraska about a possible role on the Cornhusker staff. Chuck, we've seen what Matt Rule is into when it comes to football. Um, he likes physical. Uh, he is not a guy who's known for being a wing-it-all-over-the-field kind of guy. I understand they're bringing in Rayola, and so maybe there's the thought that you need to get more effective in the pass game. But Dana Holgerson's version of football and Matt Rule's version of football, this is where, you know, I like ice cream sundaes and I like meatballs, but I don't think I like meatballs on an ice cream sundae. This sounds like a bad idea to me. Yeah. Um, interesting, the Montgomery thing, and you're right about that. happened a few days ago. Um, weren't we all talking about the defensive coordinator a lot more than the offensive coordinator? Offensive coordinator, he didn't have a quarterback first half of the season for, I mean, just as far as the get acquainted thing. What if the defensive coordinator that we all looked at and said, you almost won the Iron Bowl? Just interesting. All right. Take a quick break, 22 hours, recharge everybody's batteries, David, me, Heath, all y'all. Be back tomorrow with outstanding guests and experts and insight into who won the national championship and why. That's what we're going to do tomorrow on the Chuck Oliver Show. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. 
And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. 